We had George and Caroline, now Morellas, get married. George and Caroline just got baptized. Two months ago, made the right decision to split from each other and do it righteously. And after two months, uh, they got together yesterday and had a great wedding. And it was a great time of encouragement for them and for everyone else. And I don't think they're here today, right? Well, I don't know. We got to go back and talk about the commitment. <laughs> Two of uh, absolutely my best friends uh, are here visiting with us this morning. Uh, we spent time with them in Moscow back in, uh, I remember it was December, because you never forget December in Moscow. It's cold, really, really cold. But it was in 1992. I love to introduce to you Sean and Lena Wooten, who lead the church in Kiev, Ukraine. Please give them a great hand. And uh, next Sunday, we're all going to be back together here. And uh, we want to enjoy a great fellowship before church, not just after church. So if you can remember, we start exactly at 10 o'clock on time, so if you come early, you'll enjoy lots of fellowship. In closing, I'd like to read this letter before we go to God in prayer. This is a letter from another great dear friend to many, many of us. is one of our elders, Brian Plymel. Brian writes, I love the Lord, I love my family, I love the church, and the privilege of serving as an elder. Following more than a year of prayer and counsel, I have concluded that I no longer qualify to continue in my role as an elder. Just over a year ago, my youngest son called me from his out-of-state university to tell me he was having doubts about God and wanted to take a break from being a Christian. In short, he had begun living the life of a typical non-Christian college freshman. Within a few months, he stopped coming to church. In Titus 1.6, God directs that an elder must be above reproach and that his children not be open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. For these reasons, I must step down from my position and relinquish the responsibility and authority of being an elder. My son and I, along with the rest of my family, keep up regular conversations and trips to see one another. We firmly believe that our son's journey will return him to God. He believes this about himself, too. My fellow elders and the ministry leaders have been extremely supportive, encouraging Karen and I to continue shepherding in the coastal LA campus ministry and to explore new roles of service to the church. On behalf of my entire family, I thank you for your continued love and your prayers. For those of you whose children have wandered from the faith, I feel your pain and look forward to celebrating with you as our children return home to God. I love you all. Brian Plymel. We all appreciate Brian and Karen so much and appreciate the fact in the church we follow God's word. Everybody does. And we will do what God's words say. And we trust in God's wisdom. And we trust that Michael Plymel will be back with God and with all of us again. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much. God, thank you for this time of the year. Uh, there is joy everywhere. But God, I pray that the joy will be for the right reason, not because of the lights or the colors or the music or the gifts. 
And even as we pray that there is joy everywhere, there is sadness in many parts of the world, and especially with the massacre that happened in Connecticut. God, I want to bring the families of those children and the adults who died in that massacre before you. God, we pray especially for each and every one of them. Be with them. Comfort their hearts. Help people to start looking back to you and understand that without you there is no joy. There is no hope. There is no life. But with Jesus and because of his sacrifice on the cross, we have hope not just in this life alone, but for eternity. Thank you so much for the church, for the body, for the comfort we get from that. And thank you above all for your son and his love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
singers this morning, but after hearing my lovely singing voice, they decided to keep me off stage until the sermon. <laughs> this year, we've been going through a number of series where we've been looking at different aspects of Jesus' character and ministry and how it would apply to our daily lives. And so as we end the year, today's lesson is the second in a four-part series taken from a prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, let's look at that slide and turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. In Isaiah 9, 1, we'll look at uh, verses 1 and 2 and then verses 6 and 7. The scriptures say that nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So again, as I mentioned, I'm part two of a two, of four part series. And the title of my lesson today will be called, He Will Be Called Mighty God. What I'm going to do is focus on the power received from God as a result of Jesus' sacrifice and how we might apply that to our daily lives. Now, I haven't preached in a while, and those of you know that know me know that I'm not bashful and not short on words. So I have a four-hour sermon prepared today. I just want to encourage you to strap on in. Teens, get your soda out. We are ready to go. No, I'm just kidding. We will definitely stay on time today. Amen. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus who died for us and was raised again that we might be reconciled with you and have eternal life. Father, fill me up with your Holy Spirit as I preach your word today. I pray I will be an encouragement and an inspiration to my brothers and sisters, friends and family, that we collectively will worship you in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Walk with us, strengthen us, fill us up in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my mentors in the ministry many years ago told me that whenever you deliver a sermon, 
the first person you should preach to is who? It's yourself. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to preach to myself to guard my own heart against hypocrisy. I'm going to share some points from my own personal spiritual battles, and I hope that they will inspire you in your walk with God and in your spiritual battles. My first point is, he gives us the power to fight. Next slide. So those of you that like to take down notes, you can write these scriptures down. I'm not going to put them up on the screen for you. You're going to have to look in your Bible yourself, take some notes. You can go back later, but I will read them a, a little bit later. But he does give us the power to fight. Jesus gives us the power to fight. Next slide. Anybody know what this picture is from? Iwo Jima. These are five Marines and one U.S. sailor on the Isle of Iwo Jima on February 23rd, 1945, during World War II, where the U.S. had invaded Iwo Jima. And this is an iconic photograph that was taken. What's interesting about the gentlemen engaged in this fight, three of these men died before this battle was over. This photo was taken. Three of them died. Imagine, to kind of help us personalize the fight, that we got a call from Anthony and Son Galang. Now, those of you visiting with us, uh, Anthony and Son were our previous minister and, and, and wife before Moan and Manny took over. Anthony and Son have moved on to take over the church in Hawaii. So imagine getting a call from Anthony and Son saying, you know, happy news in the midst of sadness. Guys, our house was just bombed, and we barely made it out alive. How would you feel? What would you want to do? Because that's what happened to the U.S. during World War II, right? Pearl Harbor, you all familiar with that? December 7th, 1945, a day that will live in infamy. Pearl Harbor Day, or 41, I'm sorry. Pearl Harbor Day. And so it mobilized the United States, it galvanized us as a country that we needed to fight. We needed to fight for our freedom. We needed to fight for our very lives. Anybody like movies, Captain America? You know, one of the things I love about the movie, you saw the passion with which he was trying to enlist. People were inspired to do great things, to go above and beyond what it appeared they could do because they knew we had to fight. Next slide. Who's the guy in the cool hat? Anybody know? He's the guy in the cool hat, sailor, John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones is known for a famous quote. He was in the middle of a fight, and the commander of the British Navy taunted him and said, you need to surrender. Guess what John Paul Jones said? He says, sir, I have not yet begun to fight. He said, he hadn't even started fighting yet. That's how intense his resolve was to fight for the freedom of our country. Next slide. One of my favorite pictures of all time. It looks like a fight was going on. Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Lister, defying him to get up off of the canvas after he knocked him down. 
because Sonny was in a fight. But you know the fight that Ali is most known for was not in the ring. His most inspiring fight was against the United States government where he decided he was not going to go to a foreign land and kill people that he did not know. He fought the U.S. government, stripped him of his title. Eventually he won, came back, won his title three times, known as the greatest, one of my heroes on a personal level. We'll look at Ali for a minute because that inspires me. <laughs> Do you realize we're in a spiritual fight this morning? Do you realize we're in a spiritual battle? What will it take to inspire you to help you recognize the war that is raging around us every day for the souls and hearts and minds of men and women? Will someone have to bomb our country? Do we need an inspirational leader? Is it an iconic photograph from a different time? Go to Revelation chapter 12, those of you that have a Bible. And for those of you that don't, I'll read it. Revelations 12, verse 7. <clears throat> and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. I can hear the hallelujah chorus in the background. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and woe to you who dwell in them. But woe to, I'm sorry, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Guess where the devil is? Alive and well and living in Culver City. I saw him just the other day over 7-Eleven. <laughs> Buying the tuna fish. No, I'm just joking. I see the devil all around us. You know, we saw the devil in Connecticut this week. He is alive and well and living on planet Earth. What are you fighting for spiritually today? What are you fighting for spiritually today? You know, I had to think about it because you got to preach to yourself, right? Here are the things I'm fighting for. One thing I'm fighting for is my salvation. I am naturally a self-reliant guy. I'm a person, I have built my whole life on not needing anybody or anything. You know, that's the lie you tell yourself, right? When you come up and you're five foot eight and a gang of six foot eight people, you fight, right? You rely on yourself. You get it done. So the concept of relying on God is foreign to me. It's not natural for me to rely on God. It's natural for me to rely on Chuck. I have to fight to be spiritual. I am not a naturally spiritual person. I need the power of Christ in my life to help me stay humble and reliant on him. I'm fighting for my marriage. I have an incredible wife. I love Carol. I love my wife. Hey! 
She's awesome. But she's a tough customer. When she gets angry with me, it is challenging for me to respond in a godly way. Are you guys with me? Your wife gets mad at you, right? What's your natural response? I'm a fighter. I'm going to beat her down. That's not spiritual. Not physically, of course, but verbally. That's, that's not spiritual. That's an unspiritual, sinful response. You know, my generation, right, James Brown? Payback is a thing you got to see, right? You ever do something to me, right? That's an unspiritual response. It is not a godly response. I'm fighting for my marriage. I'm fighting to have a great marriage. I need the power of Christ in my life to help me lead my wife as Jesus would have me to lead her. How about you husbands? Are you leading the women in your life spiritually and powerfully in accordance to God's will? Or are you leading them in the worldly manner? You know, there's all kinds of psychobabble about how to be a good husband. I can tell you, as a man married 29 years, most of it's absolute garbage. It really is. It's, it's terrible stuff. If you listen to that stuff, your marriage will never work. Trust me. I'm fighting for my marriage. I'm fighting for the souls of my children. I'm fighting for the souls of their children and their children and their children and their children. You get where I'm going? A thousand years from now, they're going to be raised on the earth who are godly people. Because I'm fighting for them right now. Now, I love my children. And since they're here, I won't totally embarrass them. And I mean this in love. I would just say sometimes those little Negroes, I want to give them away. Sometimes I want to give them away. I need the power of Christ to love my children through their personal growth and character development. I'm fighting for the souls of others. I would like to see other people come to know Christ. How about you? Anybody want to see somebody get saved? Wouldn't that be a good thing? See some people come to know Christ in a real way? Wouldn't that be exciting? I'd like to lead somebody to Christ in 2013. You know, my wife and I lead a small group called a, a Bible talk or a family group or whatever we call it today. I don't know. Name keeps changing. But it's a group of friends that we love that come to our house and meet with us. And we had a little holiday meeting. And it was great. It was really great because in our group, we have two people who wandered away from Christ who came back. And it was so encouraging. And our group just all excited. Well, you know why we're excited? We have people that have returned to Christ in our group. I, I'm fighting. I want to see somebody's soul saved this year. I'm fighting for success. Appreciate my business partner, Barbara Sullivan. I'm embarrassed her. She's here today, man. Barbara brought her husband, Louie, and some of my other friends that have come out today. I really appreciate you all coming out to support me. You know, I'm fighting for my success. And Barbara and I, we're working to build a great business so we can do two things. One is retire, and the second one is help other people because we both share that same passion. I'm fighting for my community. I don't need to go overseas to look for a worthwhile cause to fight. 
I'm fighting for my community. Half the African-American children in Los Angeles County will not graduate high school. I'm fighting mad about that. I'm going to fight for my community. One third of the men will spend some portion of their lives locked up. I'm going to fight to change that. I'm not going to surrender to that. I'm not going to accept that. In the picture of Ali, in your fight to be spiritual, to be godly, for your marriage, for your kids, where do you see yourself? Are you Ali or are you Sonny Liston? Are you standing over the challenges in your life, defiantly telling them, don't you get up off of this canvas? Or have you surrendered and laying on your back, getting beat down by the challenges in your life? What this message is about today, we serve a mighty God who gives us the power to fight, the power to overcome, the power to win, the power to persevere, the power to change, the power to be different. We don't have to be the same. We don't have to surrender. We can do it. But we've got to believe that we can. You know, I'm fighting for my country. You know, I try not to get too emotional. As I get older, I'm more passionate. I'm more in touch with my feelings. That school shooting, my emotions range from utter horror that someone would hurt babies to, to absolute anger. We, we've got to fight to change the spiritual character of our country. At this time, I do want to have a moment of silence for those families. Amen. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Yeah, I like to fight in the right way. You know, when I was uh, a little kid before eighth grade, I used to get beat up, right? Because I was always one of the smaller guys in the class. But then the interesting thing happened one day. I decided that they could kill me if they wanted to, but I would not take a beating from anyone ever again. An amazing thing happened. People much larger than me began to leave me alone because they said, that guy's crazy. He'll hurt you. I just leave him alone. He's off in the head. And I internalized that anger, and only through the power of Christ was I able to redirect that anger and that forcefulness in a godly way. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. <clears throat> For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to the church in Corinth because he had to go to Corinth and deal with some problems in the church. But it applies to us as well in terms of how we fight. How do you fight your spiritual battles? Do you fight your spiritual battles with Oprah? Now, I'm not mad at Oprah. Oprah is a very gracious, generous person. I like watching her show, and, you know, it has, has some social benefit to it. 
But that's not how you fight your spiritual battle. Do you fight your spiritual battle with anger? Do you fight it with hatred? Do you fight it alone? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, where I will not turn today, talks about putting on the full armor of God so you can take your stand. You know what? I got to read that passage. Sorry. That's a good passage. It just says you got, you got to be ready. Now, I'm not very handy around the house, but one lesson I've learned is whenever you have a job, what's important, you need the right tool. You got to have the right tool for the job. We have a spiritual job. Let's make sure we have the right tools. Ephesians 6, verse 10, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We're in a spiritual war. It's important that we use spiritual weapons in this war. What's the decision with my first point? Simply this, fight, fight. Don't give up, fight. The spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. Develop your 2013 spiritual plan. How's your personal Bible study? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to equip yourself with spiritual weaponry so you can fight a spiritual battle? How's your prayer life? You know what? I love preaching because you can have a whole big crowd of people hold you accountable. I need you all to ask me if I'm going to the beach and praying and walking along the beach and praying like I used to do. You with me? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Who do you have in your life? I'm grateful for my brother Mo. We get together. We have coffee. We talk. We share our weaknesses. We share our struggles. We hold each other accountable to be spiritual men of God. Spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. If you're visiting and you're not involved in a Bible study on any kind of regular basis, I'd encourage you to get with a person that bought you or someone that can help you determine your battle plan. My first point was simply fight. My second point, through his power, he gives us the power to sacrifice. Next slide. There's our scriptures. You can write those down. I'll speed up a little bit so we don't go for, you know, three, four hours as much as I'd love to. Next slide. Recognize this picture? 9-11. My point is sacrifice. Would you rush into that? Would you rush in? Most of us, we see that, what are we doing? We're going the other way, right? Would you rush in? Next slide. He rushed in. He rushed in. He died. He's a chaplain from the New York 
fire department, who was the first person whose life was recorded as being lost as a result of what happened in the Twin Towers. They rushed in. They sacrificed. They were willing to lay it all down on the line to save someone else. Next slide. Anybody remember this picture? Tiananmen Square. This guy was willing to lay it down on the line. Would you stand in front of four tanks? <laughs> I don't think I would, I gotta be honest. He stopped a column of tanks. He was willing to sacrifice and lay down his life for what was important to him. Next slide. Mike Wagey, where you at? Do you recognize that guy, Mike? Boris Yeltsin in the Soviet Union. I called Mike out because Mike spent time as a missionary in Moscow in the Soviet Union. This is Boris Yeltsin. On, on top of a tank, when there was a coup in the country, rallying the people to oppose the coup, he was willing to sacrifice his life. He didn't die, but he was willing to. Next slide. U.S. Civil Rights Movement. Why am I so passionate about my right to vote? This picture right here. This gentleman was willing to sacrifice his health and his life in order to promote freedom and equality for all, which are principles that we believe in in this country. Next slide. It's our school shooting. If you're in a crisis, are you more worried about yourself or are you more, more worried about the people around you that you need to get to safety? The people around you that you need to get to safety. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We'll leave that one up for a minute. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to inspire you. There is so much work to do. Sometimes I sit with my friends. I'm, I'm involved in different, different things to try to make a difference. And sometimes we look at each other and we just say, there's a lot of work to do. It's just overwhelming. There's a lot to do. We need help. I want to inspire you, but it's not just about what we do in the world. It's about what we do for Christ. Are you with me? Philippians 2, verse 17. Paul wrote, <coughs> But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to talk about sacrifice within your comfort zone. Sacrifice within your comfort zone. Paul said he was being poured out. What are ways we get poured out as Christians? Sharing our faith. That's pouring out. You ever have to go talk to somebody about something unpleasant that you really didn't want to say? You knew it needed to be said, right? I mean, the brother had halitosis and you, you love him and that's bad breath. He had really bad breath and, you know, you had to go talk to him, right? Do you know sometimes we're willing, we are not willing to even make those kind of little sacrifices to help each other? That's, isn't that a small thing? Shouldn't that be a really small thing? To, to tell someone that. 
What about someone that's drifting spiritually? Is it within your comfort zone to say, you know what, Chuck, I love you, but I think you really need to be more gracious with your children. One of the reasons I appreciate Al so much, Al told me, you know, I get with Al every week. I got tired of listening to Al. It was the same thing every week. Chuck, you got to change your anger. You're destroying your kids. Chuck, you got to change your anger. You're destroying your kids. Chuck, you got to change. I went in his house. I said, I know, Al. I'm destroying my kids. I got to change my anger. He loved me enough to tell me that. Do you see things in people around you that you don't tell them, even though you know they need to hear it? Are you, are you with me? That's hard. You know, most of the time, I want to punt on that, right? Oh, let, let somebody else deal with that. Those are sacrifices, though, that should be within our comfort zone. Mo was very gracious. I'll talk about this. How about being on time for church? That's a sacrifice should be within our comfort zone, right? Yeah, I'm talking to all y'all in the back row. That's right, all y'all late back there. I'm calling you out. Yeah, there you go. Raise your hand. Tell the truth. Amen. I still love you. <laughs> sacrifice within our comfort zone. Just being on time. How about this? Serving in the children's ministry. That's a sacrifice should be within our comfort zone, right? I mean, it's a little... We got to get up earlier. Sometimes they're bad. Ooh, we got baby's kids in there today. I was in there. They were running around. Had the teachers tied. It was terrible. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We have great children and great ministry workers. But we need help because we have a lot of children. You all have taken serious, be fruitful and multiply. So we need more workers in the children's ministry. Those are sacrifices within our comfort zone. You know, there are sacrifices outside of our comfort zone that we may need to make as well. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 17. Make sure I'm doing that right on time here. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, when God tested him, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Putting in biblical context, God told Abraham, go offer your only son as a blood sacrifice to me. That's definitely outside of the comfort zone. You with me? That's not an inside the comfort zone sacrifice. That's an outside of the comfort zone sacrifice. Where is your comfort zone today? Where is your comfort zone? I want you to make a couple of decisions about sacrifice. I want you to pick two things within your comfort zone that you are willing to sacrifice. Two things within your comfort zone. I don't know, a little sleep. Uh, a little volunteer for um, uh, the Hope Day, Martin Luther King Day. Go, you know, volunteer when maybe you didn't want to. Maybe it's uh, going to have some conversations you need to have. Maybe it's serving in kids' kingdom. But two sacrifices within your comfort zone. See, Jesus gives us the power to sacrifice, guys. It's just part of being a Christian. Because who sacrificed for us? 
Who sacrificed for us? Jesus did. Who else sacrificed? His, his God, Heavenly Father. It's interesting that God would call Abraham to sacrifice his son. Think God could relate to what his plans were in the future? Two sacrifices within the comfort zone, one from beyond. Something that really makes you uncomfortable. For some of us, believe it or not, it's going to work with the homeless. For some of us, that's really uncomfortable. But two sacrifices that are comfortable and one that's not. You with me? Decision points. Last point. Next slide. Last point is believe. There are some scriptures for you. You can write those down. I want to cue up a video, and then I want to come back and talk a little bit about belief. So while we're working on cueing that video up, belief is an interesting thing. And there are different levels of belief that I'm going to talk about. So let's see. We'll get that slide queued up. Get that video queued up. We will uh, talk about belief. Talk a little more? All right, so here's where I'm going to go. There are three areas, I can talk too. There are three areas of belief I want to hit you with. One is belief in terms of challenges. So just belief enough to meet a challenge. The second level of belief I want to talk about is belief to believe the improbable. And then the third level of belief I want to talk about is belief to believe the impossible. So challenge, improbable, impossible. Cue up that video on belief. Are we ready? We good? There we go. From Indiana Jones. Thank <laughs> you. 
I must turn those lights back on. Don't know how well you can see that. Could you guys see that well enough to see what was going on? <clears throat> he was basically on one side of a chasm. And his father was dying. He was in a, a quest for the Holy Grail, which could heal his father. But the side he was standing on, he couldn't leap across. It was too far. And it was not apparent that there was any way you could walk across that chasm. Some of you have seen the movie, right? Wasn't apparent you could walk across. He looked at that and said, what did he say? Anybody hear him? He said it's impossible. But what did he do? He did it anyway. My third point is simply belief. Belief. You know why we don't do certain things oftentimes? Because we don't really believe we can. We don't see a way to get it done. We don't see the way to overcome. It looks impossible. You know, I was challenged this morning when I was thinking more about this point in terms of belief in my own life. And so I broke it down to make it easy for me and hopefully it will relate to you. I broke my belief down in three areas. First is challenges, challenges. There are some things that I want to do in 2013 that they're not improbable. They're within the realm of reality, but they're challenging and they challenge my belief. Who would like to help someone become a Christian this year? Now look around, look around, keep your hands up. Look at all those hands. If we actually do that, this auditorium will be full with people, right? Is that within the realm of our faith to do? It's challenging though, right? Now, different question. How many people led someone to Christ this year? Look around. A lot fewer hands. But it's probable it's just challenging. Are you with me? Some things require belief, but they're challenging. I've set some goals for my business this year. They're challenging. But I can do them. But they're challenging. I set some other goals, too. Uh, right now, I'm, I'll just tell you, I'm 170 pounds, 23.5% body fat. Job of the hut. Ho, ho, ho. No. <clears throat> My goal is to be 170 pounds with 20% body fat or less. It's possible, right? But it's challenging. Anybody got a weight goal out there? I know nobody other than, well, people over 50, we all got weight goals, right? That weight goal is challenging, right? What's your Bible study goal? Mine this year is to read through the Bible in a year. Honestly, I'm coming on the end of the year. I'm about two and a half weeks behind. I'll be doing some serious reading here at the end of the year to get caught up and make sure I hit that goal. What's your goal? It's challenging, right? but doable. What's your goal for your marriage? Anybody at a stage in their marriage where you're fighting a lot? Don't answer that. I'm not, I'm not trying to embarrass you. Let me just say my wife and I have gone through a couple of stages like that. Praise the Lord. We are not there now. Amen. But we've gone through those stages where we fought a lot. And a good goal would have been to have communication that was constructive without name-calling or recrimination. I know none of you all can relate to that, right? 
That would have been a good goal for us at that time in our marriage. It would have been challenging, but it would have been doable. You with me? Now I tease single brothers. Maybe your goal is not eat up everybody else's Captain Crunch, right? <laughs> Buy your own Captain Crunch this year. And I, I'm being a little silly, but what I'm trying to get you all to do is to really think about challenges and goals that you would set for yourself that are challenging, but with some belief and some perseverance you can do. Are you with me? You've got to set those goals. Otherwise, what you're going to do, you're going to come to church every Sunday, hear the message, go home, and nothing will change. And you know what happens in your life when you go to church over years and nothing changes? What does that do to your faith? It kills your faith. And you become religious as opposed to godly. You become a religious person that goes through the motions, that has a form of godliness, but denies the power of Christ. We're all about the power of belief today. Not about the words, but the power. Second level belief, improbable. Let me go back to my weight. 170, less than 17% body fat. And buff. Improbable. Improbable, but possible. Let me go to probably what I would consider impossible. For me, 15% or less, at 53 with the responsibility that I have, knowing what it would take, I don't have the faith to believe I can do that. Some of you would laugh at that and say, oh, man, that's, you can do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, just like certain areas of your life, I'd look at your goals and say, oh, yeah, you can do that. You know, oftentimes it's easier to believe for other people than it is to believe for yourself. You, in fact, believing for them is not even belief. It's sight. You can see it, but they can't. Today, I want to encourage you to tap in the power of Christ to believe, to believe. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. How you all doing out there? It's tough, you know, when you speak, you know, you look at the crowd, you see the faces. Sister over there crying, I must have said something. Convicted her heart, amen. I'm sure I hear about it after church. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like to have fun when we talk as a family, because to me, this is really a family talk. When we talk, it's good that we have fun because the things we talk about are life and death. They're serious and they're important. Ephesians 1, verse 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Let me stop. Fundamental question. Do you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, physically. Do you believe that? You know, that's the core question of Christianity. That, that really is. Do you believe Jesus was a man, physically died, was buried, and after three days through the power of God was raised from the dead? If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. I'm not mad at you. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying. 
That is the core question of Christianity. If you call yourself a Christian and you believe that, the implication is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work, can be at work in your life. In your life. My third point is belief. Do you believe? Do you believe? And in your belief, I want to encourage you to set some goals. Again, I'm pushing on you. Set a challenge goal. What are your goals in the area of challenge? Things you could actually do. You can really do these things. You need some belief and maybe a little hard work and you can pull them off. Set some goals in the improbable area. Things that require a lot more faith. But do you know that our God is in the business of raising the dead? Which category does raising the dead fall in? That would be in the impossible category. That's impossible. That's the category that that would fall in. Yet that's the God that we serve. So in conclusion today, and as I get ready to prepare our hearts and minds for communion, my sermon, he will be called mighty God. My first point was he gives us the power to fight. He gives us the power to fight. What are you fighting for? Make the decision to fight with spiritual weapons. Get involved in a Bible study. Pray. Set yourself up for victory. My second point, he gives us the power to sacrifice. We live in a hurting world where there are a lot of needs around us. Make the simple sacrifice, please, within church. I mean, that's, that's just, that's the simple stuff. We've got a lot bigger fish to fry in this world and a lot of lost souls to save. Make the decision to sacrifice. My third point is simply believe. He gives us the power to believe the impossible. And if we can believe the impossible, certainly we can achieve the improbable. Certainly we can overcome and achieve our challenges. Again, going back to Ephesians chapter 1, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his blood, because of his death, we have this power. It's because of his sacrifice and his blood and death, we have one another. It's because of his sacrifice, his blood and death, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because of Jesus we can do more than we can ask or imagine. And so as we take communion today and you examine your heart, I encourage you to make some decisions about how you can tap into God's power because he is called mighty God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to take communion once again, to remember you, to reflect on our lives, to be inspired to do more than we could ask or imagine, to help others come to know you, to change the world around us. Father, at least at a minimum to change our church and to see power in our own lives. Father, forgive our sins, forgive our lack of faith, Help us to grow and to mature, to be more like Jesus, to never settle, 
Help us to defeat Satan in every area of our lives. Help us never to give up. Help us to fight. Help us to sacrifice. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name.
Really appreciate Chuck preaching the word to us today. Let's give Chuck a hand for uh, helping us out there. I, I, was, I was encouraged as he got up here. Chuck is such a great communicator. It's just fun to listen to him. And I was encouraged. And then he started talking and I started getting convicted. And then at the end, I was kind of convicted inspired. Does that make sense? Um, when I saw the picture of Ali and Liston, I'm like, yeah, I'm a fighter. I'm still around. I'm more like Ali. And then he started talking about impossible prayers. And I thought, when I was younger, I prayed a lot more risky, impossible prayers than I do now. And I was convicted. I was like, as I get older, I should be growing in my faith. And I, I thought back to the picture, and I, I thought, in my faith, I'm more like Sonny Liston. And I was convicted, and I appreciate the challenge, Chuck. And I I appreciate the fact that you challenging us to pray impossible prayers will change some of our lives and our families' lives in 2013. We'll pray for something we wouldn't have prayed for, and God's going to do it. And because you challenge us today, we will see God do miraculous things in 2013. So thanks for the challenge right before the new year, Chuck. Let's give him a hand. It's been a great day. And, you know, the holiday season's here. We are, we're ready to uh, celebrate and eat and set goals and all of those kind of things. And uh, with that, um, we, we are going to spend the next couple weeks really thinking about our goals for 2013. And, and I don't want it to be, as Christians, I don't want them to be just goals. I want to be prayers. And I really want us to take Chuck's admonition of praying for the things that are improbable and something that's impossible and uh, if I could make any encouragement to you, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to think of something that's just flat impossible, and I'm going to start praying about it. And also, he talked about having a spiritual plan. You know, what's your spiritual plan, your action plan, your fighting, your battle plan for 2013? I'm going to do that as well, so I appreciate that. Um, with that, we're going we're gonna to pray for our contribution right now and uh, for the work of the church. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all you've given us for your sacrifice for us on the cross. Father, for giving us your son, Jesus, for giving us your very life. And I pray as we give this morning, as we give to the work of the church, we'll give uh, with that same spirit of sacrifice and heart and trust. But as well as we give, as we serve one another, as we serve the community, as we serve the poor, that we'll have the same spirit of sacrifice for others as we give to other causes and, and other charities and, and other churches even, I pray that our heart will be the same, that we will be um, inspired and motivated by the sacrifice Jesus you gave for us. And I pray this morning as we give, that we'll be thinking about you and that we'll be a little bit more like you after giving today. Jesus, we thank you. We pray through Christ. Amen. As we're passing the trays, go ahead and stand up and uh, join us in song. This will be our last song, and we'll be dismissed for the day.
Have a great day.